Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, I'm excited to share the word with you for a couple of moments today. And I'm particularly excited about the content, the subject matter, because it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. It's something that has changed my life personally. And I honestly believe that if we tune in, if we pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is saying, if we understand and if we embrace what we're going to be talking about today, it has the potential to change your life as well. Um, We've been in this series for the last couple of weeks entitled Fight Right, while we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and the Apostle Paul's explanation regarding the armor of God as he lays out each one of these different specific areas of armor that we need to be wearing as we fight a spiritual battle. I will remind all of us today, as I've reminded all of you every single week, that we are in the middle of a fight, one of the most intense spiritual battles we have ever been in before. Uh, this, this is no joke. This is not like praying for a parking spot or a, you know, a sunny day in San Francisco, although that could feel like a spiritual battle sometimes in its own right. No, the Apostle Paul says that we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting against spirits and principalities, that we are fighting against demonic forces in the unseen world. And that's the kind of fight we're in the middle of right now. We're fighting against fear and anxiety and depression and isolation and all of these things that seem to be coming in on us. Uh, In the midst of that, we are fighting against spiritual principalities, understanding that the fight we're in the middle of is one that is fixed. And if we fight, we will win. But it requires that we fight right, that we have a God-given strategy because our victory is contingent on our strategy. And so the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 what that strategy should look like. And our key scripture is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. I'll read those now as we jump in today. But he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded up your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Our supernatural strategy is right there. It's the whole armor of God. We need to know what to wear, what armor to put on, and what not to wear, because what we're wearing, the way we walk out onto this battlefield, could be the difference between our victory or our defeat. Uh, Many of you watching today, you're probably too young to remember this show, but years ago, I think it was almost 20 years ago, uh, there was a show on TLC Network called What Not to Wear. TLC, the quality network that brought us such shows as My Strange Addiction, uh, Sister Wives, and I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. Really quality entertainment. Uh, But they had this show called What Not to Wear. And the premise of this show was that these two fashion folks, uh, stylists, Stacey London and Clinton Kelly, they would find these subjects or people would send videos or photos of their friends and they'd choose these subjects who had no clue how to dress themselves. They had the worst fashion possible. And as they found these folks, they would begin to show them why what they're wearing was not appropriate and how they needed to dress from here on out, you know, what not to wear. It sounds fun, like, hey, I get a stylist and they can show me what to wear, but it was a really painful process to watch. 
there was always a scene in every single one of the episodes where the stylists would go to the subject's house and they'd raid their closet and they'd find these like horrific outfits that anyone in their right mind should know, yo, you can't wear that. But uh, they would they would choose them and then they'd force the subject to do a little fashion show for them. They'd put them in this room with like a 360 degree mirror around them. And, and as they sat in that room and they wore one of their outfits, uh, Stacy and Clinton would say, okay, now tell us why why you like this outfit, why you think this is appropriate. And, you know, the person would do their best to defend their fashion. Like, you know, I, I, this reminds me of a day when I was out in a field or, you know, my grandmother gave me this or whatever, you know, the, the reasons they loved what they were wearing. And somewhere in the middle of that sentence, Stacy and Clinton would break into the 360 degree mirror room and they'd say, now let me tell you why everything you just said is stupid and dumb and why you look horrible right now. I mean, it was incredibly painful to watch. Well, Ephesians 6 is kind of our 360-degree mirror, if you will. It's our mirror room where we get to see what we're wearing and whether or not it's appropriate. And the Apostle Paul is our Stacy, our Clinton, kind of chiming in on what we're wearing to say, guys, listen, I know that, that you like what you look like right now, but if you walk out onto a battlefield like that, if you try to engage in a spiritual warfare like that, then your defeat is imminent. You need to be dressed appropriately. You need to know what to wear in this fight. And so last week, we talked about the first item that the Apostle Paul tells us we need to, do, to, to wear. Uh, we need to gird up our loins with the belt of truth. And if you didn't catch that, you can go back and watch it uh, on our YouTube channel from last week. But we talked about how truth needs to be at the center of our being. It's the first thing we put on, and it frees us so that we can fight. Well, today we're going to jump into the second item that Paul tells us we need to be wearing on the battlefield, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, the breastplate is a, is a pretty obvious, self-explanatory piece of equipment. It, it covers the chest and the abdomen, and uh, it was made of metal, strips of metal, and tied together with leather for the Roman soldiers so that they still had some freedom to move about. But uh, it was fashioned with metal because often there were swords and daggers and arrows and uh, all kinds of stuff that the opposing enemy would use to try to, to pierce the, the warrior. And so the Roman soldiers knew that they needed to wear this breastplate that was made of metal so that it could deflect what the enemy was going to be using in battle. And the primary purpose of the breastplate was to protect all the vital organs, namely the heart. Because, you know, a warrior could catch a blow to his shoulder or maybe even a gut punch or two, but a blow to the heart could prove to be fatal. And as it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. In the spirit, as a Christian, you might be able to withstand the devil's occasional you know, punch on the shoulder or a gut punch, if you will. You can brush your shoulder off and, you know, you can deal and catch your breath again as you stand back up. But man, if he can get to your heart, it could prove to be fatal to your faith. And this is why you've probably noticed by now that the devil always aims for the heart. He's always after your heart. He knows if he can get to your heart, then he can cripple your faith. He can destroy your future. He can decimate your destiny. He can render you helpless on the battlefield if he can get to your heart. So he always goes for the heart. And if, if you think about it, what we're facing right now, what we've been experiencing for the last few months, this is not some shoulder attack or a gut punch. 
This is a heart attack. The enemy is going straight for the heart of what makes us tick, straight for the heart of what makes us alive. He is after our hearts. And so now more than ever, we need to be wearing the breastplate of righteousness. We need this plate to protect us. You have got to put on a plate today. In fact, if you're standing near someone or sitting near someone in your house that lives with you, tap them on the shoulder and just say, hey, put on the plate. You need to put on the plate. And if you live alone, uh, you can tell your cat or a stuffed animal or something, put on the plate. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us that this breastplate is made of a very specific material. Unlike the breastplate of the Romans that was made of strips of metal and tied together with leather, the, the Christian's breastplate is made of righteousness. If you take notes, I want you to write this down. Righteousness guards our hearts. Righteousness guards our hearts. We need to have our hearts guarded by righteousness. Paul could have used any word he wanted to describe the breastplate. He could have chosen any word that he felt was appropriate to guard the heart. He could have said, put on the breastplate of peace, uh, put on the breastplate of purity, of hope, of love. There's a lot of great Christian words in the Bible he could have chosen, but the word that Paul felt was appropriate for the breastplate was the word righteousness. Now, I think this is significant because if I were to fashion a piece of armor to guard my heart, I would fashion it understanding what the most common attack, what, what my enemy, enemy was going to be using to attack me, I would fashion it in such a way to deflect that kind of weaponry. The, the Romans was made of metal because they understood that spears and, and daggers and swords and arrows were gonna be coming at the chest of a Roman soldier. And so they fashioned it appropriately, understanding what was going to be coming against the soldier. Well, Paul says our breastplate is fashioned of righteousness. Why? Because the most common enemy attack, the most common weapon the enemy uses against a believer is the accusation of unrighteousness. The enemy loves to make you feel like you are unrighteous. The word that Paul uses in this scripture in the Greek, the, the Greek word for righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, is the word dekaiosune. And dekaiosune means right standing with God and the condition that is acceptable to God. If one is dekaiosune, if one is righteous, that means that everything is right between them and God. Our relationship is good. It means that my life and my actions and all that I've done, it's acceptable to God. That's what it means to be righteous. Well, then unrighteousness is the antithesis of those things. Unrighteousness means that I'm not acceptable to God. When I add up the sum of my actions, when I add up the sum of my decisions and my mindsets, that I don't think that God could accept me the way that I am. I don't think that things are right between God and I. I feel like there's a distance between the two of us. I feel miles away from him. And I think if we're being honest, all of us have probably felt the latter of those two. We've all felt the accusation of unrighteousness. We've all felt that moment where the guilt and the shame and the weight of our sin just seems to be bearing down on us. We've all felt that, that distance between us and God while we wrestle with that internal question like, 
can God accept me? If I, if I go back and I promise to never do it again and I beg for forgiveness, can, can God accept me again? I think we've all felt that before. In fact, based on some conversations I've been having with people lately and a lot of folks even in our own church, I think a lot of people are feeling that right now. Just this overwhelming accusation of unrighteousness. There's, you know, this opportunity that's been presented to us, as we've talked about often in this quarantine or shelter in place or whatever we're calling it, this opportunity to, to really run after God, to get into the word, to pray, to worship like never before. But it seems like even though the opportunity has made itself available to us to go deeper in the things of God, many of us have, have not seized that opportunity. In fact, if anything, the only opportunity we've seized is the opportunity to discover some of the ugliest parts of ourselves. Many people are, are feeling like they're at their worst right now. We're becoming aware of insecurities and fears and anger and hatred and all this stuff that we didn't even know was buried beneath the surface. Instead of being at our best, many of us feel like we're at our worst right now. And all this available time, the idle time that we've been given while we're sheltering in place, while it could have been used to invest in the things of God, for many, it's just proven to become a wider open door for temptation where the things that used to be the occasional slip up for us have now become the full-blown habitual patterns in our life. And along with that, the accusation, the accusation of unrighteousness, the accusation of the enemy where he comes and while you're already kind of feeling beat down and unrighteous, he's like, hey, I, I told you. Yeah, I told you you didn't really change. You, you really think that God could accept, accept someone like you? You, you really think that, that God's gonna just bring you back in after what you did? You said you would never do that again. You know that God's not kosher with that. Like, how could you call yourself a Christian? And all of a sudden, it's like the dagger to the heart, the accusation of unrighteousness. Unless, unless you've got a breastplate called righteousness to stand behind, unless you've got something to deflect the accusation of the enemy. Paul understands that the enemy will constantly accost you with the accusation of unrighteousness. He is constantly going to use that weapon to come against you and try to get to your heart. And the only chance you stand, the only chance of, of getting behind this, this plate, the only chance of being able to deflect his weaponry is to know that you are righteous, to have this breastplate. But Paul also understands that this is not a breastplate that you can earn for yourself. This is not a breastplate that, that you can go pick up at the store, that you can find somewhere. This is something that has to be given to you. See, when the Roman soldier enlisted in the army, he was issued by a power higher than himself, by Rome, this breastplate that he could fight with. It was freely given to him as long as he enlisted in the army. Furthermore, it was not something he earned based on his years of service, or something that he earned if he had won enough battles out there on the field and proven himself. No, it was given to him at the beginning of his tenure as a soldier because the commanding officer understood, if I don't give to you this to you at the beginning, there's no way you're gonna be able to stand on the battlefield. It was something given to him at the beginning to equip him for the fight. 
And the same is true of righteousness. Righteousness is not something we earn. It's not something that after a certain period of time in Christianity, you suddenly become. No, righteousness is something we receive, not something we achieve. It's something that has been freely given to you. I think the reason that so many of us fall into the attack of the enemy, we fall prey to this accusation of unrighteousness, is because somewhere in the back of our head, we believe that righteousness is something we earn. Righteousness is, is, is something that comes by merit. Like if, if I follow all the rules, if I do good for a long enough period of time, if, if I can keep myself free from sin, then I qualify to become righteous. But if I fall below this impossible standard that I think God is setting for me or that I've set for myself, then I no longer qualify to be called righteous. I am unrighteous. That's where so many of our heads go. But, but Paul would combat that mindset. Paul, Paul would say, you're looking in the wrong place to find righteousness because the same guy that wrote Ephesians 6 and told us to put on a breastplate of righteousness also wrote Romans chapter three, which I think is perhaps one of the clearest definitions where we can source righteousness in the entire Bible. Check out what Paul says in Romans chapter three, verse 21. He says, but now God has shown us a way to be made righteous without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made righteous, how? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That to me is the clearest definition of the good news in the Bible. Paul says, God has given you this righteousness, this right standing with him, this approval by him, this dekaiosune. He's given it to you. And it's not something that you earn by living a perfect life. Here's how you get it. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you place your faith in the fact that the finished work of the cross was enough, that Jesus lived the perfect life that you could never live, and he died the death that every single one of us deserved, and when he gave up his last breath and he declared in his finished and then resurrected from the grave three days later, in him, by placing our faith in him, we receive his righteousness, not by anything we've done, but by everything that he has already done on our behalf. So when the enemy comes and he begins to accuse you of unrighteousness, as long as you've got faith in Jesus, you can stand behind this breastplate called righteousness confidently, smiling at the devil as if you already know he's gonna fail because you're not standing behind something that you earned for yourself. You're not standing behind your own report card. You are standing behind the finished work of Jesus. You receive this. It's not something you achieved. Your righteousness came by faith. That is the good news, that regardless of your track record, regardless of what you've done in the past or what you did yesterday or what you're going to do tomorrow, your righteousness has been signed, sealed, delivered to you by faith in Jesus and him alone. Come on, you can slap somebody next to you and tell them that is good news today. Now, now listen, just because you've been made righteous doesn't excuse unrighteous behavior. I need to say this because there's plenty of people that would use this to, well, I would say abuse this 
to continue to live whatever kind of lifestyle they want to live. Well, if Jesus called me righteous, then I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. No, that's called abuse. The truth of the matter is that when you know that you've been called righteous, the, the right understanding, the right thinking leads to right living. So when I understand that Jesus has called me righteous, I can begin to live out the life that he has called me to live, not live below a standard because, well, I'm already righteous, but to actually live for the high call of God. Now, that's another sermon for another day, but for today, what we need to understand is that faith in Jesus has given us access to righteousness. The theological term, if you will, is called imputed righteousness. And that's a big word with a big concept and hours to unpack, but let me give you the boiled down simple version of it. What that means is that Jesus lived a perfect life that you couldn't live, and he now places, he imputes, he gives you his righteousness in replacement for your unrighteousness. Although you've sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, he gives you something you did not deserve, you did not earn, he gives you his righteousness. And as the old preachers used to say, what's been imputed cannot be refuted. Come on, somebody. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't address the internal question, the tension that many of us are feeling right now, even as I have unpacked this thought, because imputed righteousness is easy to understand, but it's a very difficult concept to embrace. And remember what I said at the beginning, this content today has the power to change your life, but it has to be something that we both understand and something that we embrace. In other words, you can't just get it, you also need to feel it. There's some people in the room who are saying right now like, ah, oh, I, I, just, I, just, I just don't feel like I'm righteous. I, I, I don't feel like based on my track record and based on what I've done that I can be acceptable to God. I understand what you're saying conceptually, but I just don't feel it. Well, although you might think you need to feel it, Here's what I would share with you. It's kind of an insensitive pastoral response to that thought. Thank God your feelings don't matter. Now, I know that sounds rude. You're like, wow, Pastor Tim, that's, that's not very kind of you to say. Yeah, your feelings matter about what you're facing right now. They, they matter when it comes to your health. Your, your feelings matter in, in a lot of different ways. But when it comes to righteousness, your feelings don't really matter. They don't hold any weight with your righteousness, because righteousness is not a feeling. Righteousness is a fact. Come back with me to Romans chapter three for another moment and look at what the apostle Paul says in Romans 3.23. For we've all sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, in other words, despite that fact, despite the fact that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short, there's a greater fact that I need to unpack for you. Yet, God with undeserved kindness declares that you are righteous. Even though you've fallen short of God's standard, God's declaration over you, his statement over your life is, son, daughter, you are righteous. If I could grab every face through the camera right now and look you straight in your eyes and say, listen, 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 this is so important, I would, because you have to get this. God's words have creative power. When God speaks, things happen. When God spoke at the beginning of time, there was no earth to speak of. Yet by the words of his mouth, the, the seas got their boundary. The, the land teemed with life. The sun and the moon and the stars, the day and the night, all of it was created by the words of his mouth. When he speaks, 
realities that didn't exist suddenly begin to exist. And so when God looks at you and he makes a declaration over your life and when he says, you are righteous, even if you don't feel it, even if all of the evidence is stacked to the contrary, it doesn't matter because his declaration becomes your reality. It becomes a fact. And over you and over me, God declares today, you are righteous. I remember uh, when my kids were younger, uh, in fact, one of them still does this. In fact, I think they've done it all week long this week, but uh, they used to love to dress up like princesses. I have two daughters and they have a drawer full of princess dresses from Jasmine to, you know, you name your Disney princess, they got a dress for them. Um, and uh, my youngest daughter has been wearing a princess dress all week long while she pretends that her sister is her servant and it's been really fun to watch. But when my oldest daughter was younger, around four or five, she used to love wearing princess dresses all the time. She'd wear them every day, all week long. And uh, it was it was kind of of a, a fun way to, to, to live in our household. And it just, we loved watching our daughters. It was, it was a blast. But um, I remember there was a season for a couple of months where my daughter was wearing a princess dress every single day. And uh, she began to ask me some rather odd questions about princesses. Uh, one day we were uh, getting ready to take a bath and uh, she was jumping in the bathtub and she says, uh, hey, dad, um, do princesses take baths? And I looked at her and I said, I think so. Yeah, sure. And she's like, okay. And so she hopped in the bath and her and her sister took a bath together. And it was great. Didn't think much of it. A couple days later, we were at her favorite fast food establishment, In-N-Out Burger. And uh, she was ordering a hamburger. And as she told me what she wanted, she stopped herself and she said, wait, dad, do, do princesses eat hamburgers? And I said, I think so. I would assume that princesses eat hamburgers. And she's like, Okay, okay, and she got her hamburger and moved on. This is, this is getting weird. A few days later, uh, we're getting her ready for the day, and she's putting on a pair of shorts and trying to decide between this pair of, you know, spandex pants and shorts, and she stops herself and, look, uh, and looks at me, and she says, Dad, do, do princesses wear shorts? And by this time, I'm keen, because we've been doing this now for a couple of weeks, and I'm like, yes, baby, princesses wear shorts, although they wear longer shorts because they don't want their daddies, the king, to get mad because they're showing too much skin. So they, they just don't wear too short of shorts. Just, but yes, they wear shorts. It's like, oh, okay, okay. And on and on it went for weeks and weeks and weeks. She'd be asking me these questions about what princesses do. Do princesses do that? Do princesses do this? And finally, it hit me. I understood why she was asking all these questions. She so desperately wanted to be a princess that she didn't want to do anything that would disqualify her from becoming the very thing she wanted to become. And so understanding that I had an opportunity to teach a life lesson and a spiritual lesson, I, I sat her down and I said, Ellie, hey, listen, listen. I know that you're very worried that doing certain things might disqualify you from becoming a princess, but I need you to know, look me in my face. As far as I'm concerned, and my voice and my opinion are the only ones that matter, you will always be a princess regardless of what you do. You are my princess. Unless, of course, you marry a Lakers fan and then you're dead to me. But otherwise, you are my princess. Now, I know that that's a cheesy story and I know that, you know, it may not apply to you, but I think the truth remains. It's buried in there somewhere. If your father in heaven makes a declaration over you and says you are righteous, doesn't matter what you do or what you haven't done, doesn't matter how you feel, it's a statement of fact. You are righteous. In fact, I declare that over you today. You are the righteousness of Christ Jesus. And as such, 
you have access to a breastplate that will protect you from any accusation of the enemy that will come against you in this season. Cling to that. Know today that you are righteous. Now, I want to pray for us as we conclude today. And there's two groups of people that I want to pray for. First, I want to pray for those of you who are watching and you might say, hey, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus and I understand what we're talking about, but I just haven't been able to buy into that reality lately, the reality of righteousness. Well, for you, I want to pray that the voice of God, the declaration that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter three, where he says that God declares that you are righteous, that that declaration would be loud and clear in your ears. And secondly, I want to pray for those of you this morning who would say, you know what, I haven't made that decision yet to follow Jesus. Paul said that uh, this truth of righteousness is available to anybody who puts their faith in Jesus, regardless of who they are, as long as they trust in him, that they are made right with God, that they are acceptable to God. For those of you who haven't made that decision yet, I wanna pray with you as well and help you to make that next step to follow Jesus and to get this journey started with him for the rest of your days. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, uh, I thank you for every person who tuned in today. And I thank you that as we talk about this subject of righteousness, um, while it might be one that's difficult to embrace, uh, God, it's something that once we understand, once we, once we do, it com completely changes the way we live our lives. And for those of us that have said yes to you, but maybe in this season we just feel attacked by the enemy, we feel like his arrows are making it past the armor. Lord, I pray that that accusation would be silenced and the declaration of your word, the declaration of righteousness would be loud and clear in the ear of every believer that we would stand confidently behind the breastplate of righteousness that, that we have received, not achieved. And for those that are watching right now that have yet to say yes to you, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer and you can just follow along from wherever you're watching or listening right now. But just say this in your heart, Jesus, I give you my life today. I put my faith and trust in you. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you lived the perfect life I couldn't live and you died the death that I deserved. And I wanna follow you. I wanna be your disciple from this day forward for the rest of my life until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.